Right. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts chapter 24, if you would please. Acts chapter number 24. And I am so excited to have you here today and so excited to preach God's word to you. Man, we're coming to the end of uh, our two series that we've been preaching for a while. When I came here as pastor on the first Sunday, I uh, started in Acts chapter number 1 in a series of sermons entitled Church the Way It Should Be. And I've told people, I've, I've told people all the time, especially guests, that we're just trying to do church by the book. That's what we're trying to do. And, and we're trying to model what we saw in the first century with the way we have fellowship, the way we have prayer, the way that we have preaching and soul winning. That's what our church is all about. And we have three more sermons left today, next week, and then the following week on the book of Acts. And we're done. And uh, then, of course, tonight, I don't want you to miss tonight, I'm finishing up our uh, series on the life of Moses tonight as we climb up Mount Pisgah and watch Moses take his heavenly flight. It's going to be a, uh, an incredible night tonight, so I want to encourage you to be here. It's going to be a great, great uh, uh, conclusion to that series. Of course, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We are pumped, okay, about Easter Sunday. Hey, he's still alive, Amen. Tomb is still empty, and I, I tell you, I'm about to preach my Easter message today. I'm so fired up about it, uh, but I'll wait. I'll hold it off to next week, and I want to encourage the church. Listen to me. If there's ever a week to bring a guest, it would be next week. Uh, it's the easiest week probably of the year besides Friend Day because we have a meal, <laughs> but Easter to get somebody at church. Many people go to Easter. It's the only time they go during the entire year. And so my wife and I are working on a couple people. I hope you are too. And I know we got some already guests from the Facebook world that are committed to coming who I don't know. And that's exciting. And so you just plan on a great day right here next Sunday. We have, an, we have a little uh, Easter egg candy uh, thing for the kids that are 10 and under. And so uh, you be here. That's going to be exciting. It's not really Easter egg hunt. We ain't got nowhere here, around here to hide them, okay? So it's going to be more like an Easter egg free-for-all grab, okay? And so we'll explain that next week. David's got it all mapped out, ready to go. And we'll, hey, listen, we'll, we'll be fair. We'll be fair. Uh, let all the little kids go first so the old kids don't trample them. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And most importantly, we're going we're gonna to hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, just bring your seat belts because I was listening to the music for next week. Oh, man, it's going to be good. I'm telling you, it is going to be absolutely fantastic. And uh, then next Saturday, I want, you to, I want you to be here, okay? This is an all-church outreach moment. It's a church in action project, okay? We have 200 business cards uh, with, that have an invitation to church. And they, they say, you've just been loved on, on the front of them. And what we're going to do, we're going to meet here at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. We're going to have free breakfast for everybody, okay? And so uh, uh, we're going to, well, I ain't going to tell you, it's going to be great, okay? It's going to be a meal. You're going to love it. And in fact, if you've got a, me a minute and, you want, and you're going to be here, please help us with the connection card. Just write Saturday on it or SAT period. And that would help us know that who all is going to be here so we can prepare for the meal. And then we're going to pray together, and we're going to go out into the community in like a rough, maybe couple-mile range here. And we're going to go to McDonald's, we're going to go to Starbucks, we're going to go to all these different businesses, and we're going to go through the drive-thru, and we're going to buy the meal for the person behind us. Okay? Pay it forward. And then we're going to leave one of those invitations to the church with the cashier, and it's going to be a great outreach tool. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you say, well, man, I only got five bucks. Well, go to... McDonald's then because and, and if you get in the drive-thru and there's a car filled with like 20 people behind you just forget it and then drive again drive around right when you see when you see the guy you know when you see a guy that has a couple dollar bills in his hand behind you in the line that's the guy to get okay so 
be careful. And you know what? It's okay to be a blessing, a little extra blessing. It ain't gonna, look, it ain't going to hurt you, okay? Uh, hey, look, you say, well, man, I usually go to McDonald's every day. Well, how about this? Don't go for yourself. Get it for somebody else. And, and that invitation from church, it'll be a surprise. It'll be something they've, like, never seen before. And so we're going to do it. I would like to see 150 people here Saturday morning. That's what I'd like to see. 150 of us here. It's just something that everybody can do. Everybody can do this, okay? And if you want to take two or three and go to a few different restaurants, that's cool. You do whatever God puts on your heart. But we are going to meet on Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. We're going to have free breakfast for the entire church. And then we're going to go out and be a blessing to people, okay? Acts chapter 24. Let's go ahead and stand if you would. We're going to read uh, a few verses in chapter 24, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 26 and look at a couple verses here. Before I read them, I just want to remind you where we're at in this story. The Apostle Paul has just finished up the second missionary journey. He has now retraced his footsteps back to the Ephesian church in chapter 20. He meets with the Ephesian elders, and then he makes his point to go back to Jerusalem to take an offering to the Jerusalem church because the Macedonians had offered relief to the Jerusalem churches. Now you can read about that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so Paul goes back to Jerusalem to show, I believe, a, a gesture of good faith from the Gentiles to the Jews. One of the amazing things in the New Testament is you'll find as you study it is that there are three types of people in the world, the history of the world. There's Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Okay, and in the church, Jews and Gentiles are made one in Christ. And what we find in the church is this, that in the first century, the average congregation was made up largely of Jews and Gentiles. I met with somebody this morning, I was explaining to them Romans chapter 14, how that it is one of those passages that teaches people how to get along when there's two different kinds of religious backgrounds in the same body. And the Apostle Paul was very, very instrumental in this taking place. Now, remember this, Paul was heavily warned by many preachers and prophets not to go to Jerusalem because they knew when he got there he was going to be persecuted. Remember that? And so last time we met together, we, we looked and we realized that the Apostle Paul was under trial. He was standing trial. And the last time I preached that, I preached a message called Living with a Clear Conscience. Well, today, he's still on trial. And by the time this is over with, Paul has stood before the Sanhedrin, he stood before Felix, he stood before Festus, he stood before Agrippa, and at the end of the story, they send him back to Rome to stand before Caesar, and it's there that Paul dies, and we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. But tonight, or this morning, excuse me, we're looking at this exchange between Paul and Felix and Paul and Agrippa. My friend, listen very carefully. If you have ever heard a sermon in your life, you need to hear this one. So listen as Paul encounters Felix first, beginning in chapter 24, verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came and his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered... Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Go over to chapter 26, please, and look, if you will, verse 27. Now, now Paul has just spoken the same gospel message to Agrippa. Now the sermon is over, and Paul asks this question in verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. 
most, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. This morning's message is entitled, Two Dangerous Words. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Please work in this place this morning is our prayer. Lord, we need you. Please, please, please work. Lord, may souls be saved today. May people be helped and transformed by the power of the gospel is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You can be seated. A world political blog called Pathios released an article not too many years ago entitled, The Three Deadliest Words in the World. You might be surprised to know that the three most deadly words in the world, according to this article, is it's a girl. Now you laugh here in America because your gender does not threaten you. But do you realize that in the most populated portions of the world, like India and China, to be a girl is to be extraordinarily dangerous? It is estimated over the last several years that as many, listen, as many as 200 million girls are missing from the world's population due to a, a practice known as gendercide. In these highly masculine societies, uh, girls are considered of very little or low value. And so when women many times have girls, they kill them at infancy. In fact, this article interviewed a woman from India who has now buried eight girls in a row in the same spot. She said that when they're born, I'll take a damp piece of cloth large enough to swaddle the child and lay the wet fabric over the child's face so that they cannot breathe. I just want to stop this morning and say I'm glad to live in the greatest country that the world has ever known. And I'm glad to live in a place that values every life. And I believe what our Constitution and founding documents say when it says that God has endowed us with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You say, well, I don't like the United States of America. Why don't you move to Iraq and find out how you like it there? The fact of the matter is this morning, we live in a country at, at, that values human life. And I want to go on record and say that I thank God that I'm a Christian because Christians value human life. Oh, you might go to another faith and you'll find that they, they do crazy things like this. They, they, they sacrifice their children much like the gods of the Old Testament did. And you'll find that many of them will devalue a woman because she's a woman. And I will tell you this, uh, any country that goes soft on the subject of Islam is a country that is doomed to be failed. Because when you go to those countries and see how they treat women and how they treat people that don't line up the way they line up. I just want to say, I'm glad that Jesus calls, but he calls gently. Some Somebody help me right now. I'm glad to know that I'm in the greatest country and that I'm a follower of the true and living God, that we do value life and we value things that matter. And if you're on God's side, you ought to be glad you're on God's side. And while the Bible, while this article I think is true, because when you compare it to the rest of the world, it's very, it is very dangerous to be a girl. It's very dangerous to live in a country like that and be born not a male, a boy. But I want to say to you that while that may be true worldwide, I want to speak to you this morning on two dangerous words as it relates to salvation. Folks, I want you to understand as Paul stands here and he speaks out the message to Agrippa and Felix, these two men said two words that nobody should ever say as it relates to salvation. 
And folks, as Paul stood before Felix and before Agrippa 2,000 years ago and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am telling you that I stand here 2,000 years later and proclaim the same gospel to you. You say, what is the gospel? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse 3, I've delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture you say preacher it's got to be more difficult than that it's not more difficult than that you want to know what the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scripture do you realize that 2,000 years ago the son of God God the son left the glories of heaven and humbled himself was born through the womb of a virgin named Mary He lived 33 years upon this earth, sinlessly perfect. You want to know why? Because, hey, he didn't just die for your sins. He lived the life in your place that you could never live. And then at the end of his life, they took him and they beat him and they mocked him and they hung him up upon a cross and he shed blood on that cross. And at the end of that horrible six-hour experience on that, uh, that, that Thursday or Friday evening I want to, or afternoon, I want you to know that Jesus lifted up his voice and cried, It is finished. Are you listening to me? Uh, Listen, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation because Jesus has already finished it all. And if you've got to be good or you've got to go to church or you've got to be baptized, that means you've got to do something. And if you've got to do something, then explain to me what Jesus meant when he said, It is finished. It's over. There's nothing you can add to it or take away from it. It is his life. It is his death. It is his shed blood. Oh, but friend, listen. Uh, Three days after Jesus died and was buried, the Bible says that he rose again from the dead. Are you listening to me today? He's not a dead God. Come on. He's not dead in the grave. He's He's not an idol that has eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. He's risen from the dead today. And just like Paul stood before Felix and Agrippa and proclaimed that he did die and he did shed his blood and he did get buried in that tomb, he is alive today and therefore you have the same choice that Felix and Agrippa had in that day. The choice is, will you come to God on God's terms? Listen to me, friend. You don't come to God the way you want to come to God. You come to God the way he says come to him. You say, how do you come to God? Well, it's very simple. You believe and you receive. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes, with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. i got to tell you, the greatest promise you'll ever hear in your life is that you shall be saved. But listen, he's not doing any saving until you do some believing and calling. My friend, if I were to sit down in your seat next to you right now and say, are you saved? How do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? How do you know your sins are forgiven? My friend, if you ain't talking this language, I believed and received, then you're talking the long, wrong language. It doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as a baby. You say, man, look, I got baptized when I was a baby. No, you didn't. You took a sprinkle bath when you were a baby. Nobody gets saved because they got sprinkled as a baby. Hey, nobody got saved because they got confirmed in a church. 
when they were a kid. Nobody got saved because uh, they were baptized as a child or went through catechisms. No, no, no. No, my friend, if you're saved, it has absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Hey, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And you come his way or you're not coming at all. And my warning to you this morning from the word of God is this. Do not use the two dangerous words when it comes to your soul. And I'm going to give them to you right now and then I'm going to preach them, okay? And so I know you how bad you want to fill in those blanks right there. And I, I kept the outline simple on purpose because I want you to walk away today. I want you to think of two words when you leave this place. Two words you never want to use as it relates to your soul. Number one, you never want to say later. And number two, you never want to say almost. Later and almost. The two words that will send you from a church pew to a devil's hell. Two words that you never want to say. When Jesus, hey, when Jesus is offering you salvation today, you do not want to say later and you don't want to say almost. First of all, we go back to chapter 24 and we see that Felix heard the gospel, but Felix said later. Go back, if you will, to chapter 24 and notice, I mean, it's an amazing thought. Uh, Look, if you back up to verse 22, he hears what Paul says and notice what it says. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, speaking of Christianity, Paul explained it to him and he knew what he was talking about. Look at this. He deferred them. And said, when Lydius, the chief captain, shall come down, I will let you know the uttermost of this matter. Like many political figures of our day, trapped by indecision, that is where Felix was. He could not make up his mind on his own. Hey, listen, friend, you and God make up a majority. You don't have to have a cabinet to make decisions. You don't have to have a a quorum to know what God wants you to do. Listen, if you have got a Bible and you have got the Holy Spirit of God, that's enough for you to make a clear-cut decision about salvation. But listen very carefully. His political indecision led to spiritual indecision. And there's some of you, the problem with you about Christianity is you just can't make up your mind. Because you can't decide, you're putting it off. Felix ultimately says in verse number 25, go thy way for this time. Hey, leave, I don't want to hear this right now. Look at it. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. I don't have time for that right now. I hear what you're saying, but let's talk about this later. Let's do this at another time. And by the way, in case you did not know the whole story, the Bible says in verse 26 and 27 that Paul continually came to Felix uh, over and over and over and over again for two years. Are you listening to me today? Uh, I used to think before I studied this carefully that Felix said later and he never heard it again, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, listen to me now, for two years, for two years, Felix listened to Paul testify of the good news. But I want you all to listen to something to me this morning. The first time was different than the other times. You want to know why? Because although Paul preached the same message on day one and day two and day 762, although Paul preached the same sermon over and over again for two years, there was one thing missing from the first time he preached it to the last time he preached it, and that is 
says this. He was missing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you hear what happened to Felix when Paul preached the message? It says back in verse 25, as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. Notice it now. Felix trembled. That means while he was hearing the truth of God in his ear, the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart to such a degree that it scared him out of his mind so much that he actually resorted to trembling. I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen that with my own eyes. I've seen it in camps. I've seen it in this auditorium on Sunday morning when people break out under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something, friend. If right now in your heart you are thinking to yourself, man, I'm not saved. I do not know if I'm going to heaven. I want to urge and plead with you this morning while God is talking to you in your heart right now and he is confirming what I am saying from this pulpit right here and right now my friend you would be wise to jump in while God is working on you because I'm going to tell you right now there's no guarantee this moment's going to pass your way again behold now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is a date on a fool's calendar. There are no guarantees of tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanishes away. Hey, you've got this moment. You've got this hour. You've got this sermon. You've got this Jesus. You've got this death, this burial, this resurrection, and the Holy Spirit upon your heart right now. Hey, do not let this moment pass you by. Some of you may have read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters, which is a fictional book about how demons scheme and their letters written from uh, uh, lesser important demons to Satan and how Satan communicates with his demons. It's a powerful little book by C.S. Lewis. In one section, Satan asks the demons. What should I do to destroy mankind? And one of the demons spoke up and said, Tell them there's no God. Satan laughed. He said, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Everybody knows there's a God. The only reason you don't believe in God is because you don't want to submit yourself to him. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Everybody knows there's a God. He said, that won't work. The next demon spoke up and said, well, tell him there's no hell. He said, listen, everybody knows because in their conscience it has been written the difference between right and wrong, and they know they've sinned against a holy God, and they know, therefore, there must be a judgment against sin. He said, that ain't going to work. And he said, one of them finally spoke and said, well, how about you tell them there's no hurry. And he scattered them out of his office and said, that's the message. Tell them there's no hurry. Tell them they can do it tomorrow. Tell them it's next week, next Sunday, next Easter, next Christmas, next time, next church service. When my parents are here, when my grandma's here, when somebody that I trust is here. Oh, my friend, that's not how you deal with salvation. If you're trying to say later to God, that's a dangerous word. Don't say later. And don't say almost. 
When you go over to chapter 26, it wasn't later, it was almost. Agrippa heard the gospel. Agrippa heard the testimony of Paul. Agrippa heard that Jesus was the only way. Agrippa knew what Paul had said. He knew very plainly that Paul was speaking the truth. But Agrippa, notice it again back in chapter 26. And notice, please, if you will, uh, in verse number 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, this is Paul speaking, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those things that the prophets and Moses did say should come. Agrippa standing there, or Paul standing there, say, look, I'm just telling you what's already in the Bible. And by the way, I am, look, hey, I have given you in this church this morning enough Bible for the entire world to be saved in this sermon. I'm not here preaching my gospel. I'm preaching this one right here. And my friend, if you've got a disagreement with something I've said so far in this sermon, listen very carefully. Your disagreement is with this, not me. Hey, I'm just a delivery boy. I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm not preaching my own gospel. This is the gospel of of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, that Christ should suffer. By the way, that was in the Old Testament. That's what he just said. Christ's suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection is all in the Old Testament. Verse 25, or verse 24, Festus steps up and says, Paul, you're crazy! Much learning has made you mad, verse 25, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And look at this, verse 26, the king knows. He knows I'm telling the truth. By the way, if you're listening to me this morning, something inside of you is telling you that is the truth. So he has this conversation with Festus, then he looks at Agrippa. And says, you believe the prophets, don't you? You believe the word of God, don't you? By the way, your salvation is not based upon some mystical experience. It is based upon the truth of the word of God. There are so many people that believe you've got to have some dramatic experience. Yeah, I was saved, man. I got in a car accident and God got me out of that car accident in life. Hey, that's great, but that's not salvation. Yeah, man, me and the man upstairs, we're good. No, you're not. I've heard this one before here in Jacksonville. Yeah, me and the man upstairs, we got an agreement. No, you don't. His agreement is his word. Believe it or you don't have it. He says, you believe the prophets, don't you? Surely. Surely you believe the Bible. Remember the rich man who went to hell in Luke 16? Remember what he said? Please send, 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 send Lazarus that he may go and tell my brother. I got five brothers. And if they see the guy who raised from the dead looking for that supernatural experience. I am so tired of hearing of churches in Jacksonville and around the country. It's all about experience. It's all about getting special healings. It's all about uh, some shows, some elaborate emotional ecstasy. Are you listening to me? My friend, it is the word of God. It is the truth of the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart. You don't need some crazy experience. You don't. I hear people say this all the time. Man, he wept his way to Jesus. Well, I sure hope he believed his way to Jesus. And there are some people who are emotional, and there are some people who do feel uh, strongly about something, but that doesn't have anything to do with whether you're saved or not. Being saved has everything to do with have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And he looks at Agrippa and says, you surely believe that, don't you? And he turns around and says, almost. And modern Bibles try to twist this 
scripture and make it say in a short amount of time, have you tried to do this? Listen very carefully. The next verse ought to solve that question because in the next verse, Paul's response was this. I hope not almost, but altogether. He wasn't saying in a short time, are you going to persuade me? He is saying, I'm this close to getting saved. Listen to me very carefully. This close will send you to hell. And the Bible's filled with almost. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Sir, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus listed out all of the Ten Commandments. you got to keep that perfectly. And you know Jesus intentionally left out thou shalt not covet. You ever studied that? All these have I kept from my youth up. Then Jesus comes back and says, go sell everything you have. And he walked away sorrowing. Because he knew he couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. And he knew there must be a different way. And he knew that he was guilty before God. And he almost got saved. You remember when Jesus died, there were two additional crosses on that hill. And Jesus preached and, and, and there was testimony all around him that he was the son of God. And the one man says, I believe you are the son of God. I believe I'm a sinner. And he looks at him and says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But the other guy, he mocked with the crowd. He didn't listen. And my friend, he almost got saved. And then there's the infamous one of the twelve. He sat down in the lilies with the breeze off the sea flowing through his hair, listening to the Sermon on the Mount. He walked every step for three years with Jesus. He heard every word from the Master. He didn't just hear it, he saw it. He was in the first Baptist seminary of Jerusalem being taught by the master teacher for three years. And he almost graduated, but unfortunately, the night before graduation, when they were about to see the Savior give his life and die, and right before they were sending them out on their first mission of Pentecost, and they were going to shake up the world for God after their seminary training, unfortunately, the night before graduation, something happened to Judas. The devil entered into his heart because he was never saved in the first place, and he betrayed trade the Lord Jesus Christ and listen to me he walked up in the garden of Gethsemane and he literally put his lips on the door to heaven and went to hell my friend you don't get almost saved because you ain't going to almost go to hell and I want to tell you about a sad story that I believe is on the headlines of the first Gazette newspaper in hell every morning. I believe every morning in hell there is a newspaper delivered. And on the front page every morning has the sobering words of Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. That say these words. The harvest is past. The summer is now ended. And we are not saved. My friend you better not let the summer pass. You, you better not let the harvest end my friend if you're sitting here today and there is a doubt in your mind that if you died right here and right now you'd be on your way to heaven my friend don't say later don't say almost say yes to Jesus Christ and be 
born again. Let's bow for prayer. Could we? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.